0: Andrew still felt young. To Alice, he remained her strong and handsome young man. They had grown older together, and the imperceptible changes going on inside their bodies were accepted norms that never really registered until they realized why 2 k had come and gone. Andrew would often startle himself with the realization.
1: My God, I'm in my 60s and will be gone soon.
0: He was born before the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and he railed at the idea that now Japan and America were such good friends. Alice had been born only months after President Truman gave the go-ahead to bomb the shit out of them. And even then, the Emperor wouldn't surrender. Not wanting to prolong the war and have more Americans die. Give Him Hell Harry sent a second, more powerful message. Fat Man was dropped on Nagasaki. Andrew was only seven, but he still remembered VJ Day, and the joy at having his Uncle Patrick return from the war. The fact that his own father never returned and neither did his body, fomented a hatred that he could never fully eradicate. In time, Andrew mellowed some. Old age and love for the Yankees, including Hideki Matsui, assuaged the hatred pent up for the country where his father had died. A portion of the grief that had pervaded Andrew's body was slowly eroded as the love of his mother and the peaceful tranquility of the fifties had its mitigating effect. He had always remained shy and a bit standoffish, But some women, like Alice, preferred his quiet strength to the life of the party characters. Andrew's love for Alice survived his craven act of betrayal. His hope and possible chance for a son superseded his good moral sense. But he never had regrets because this bizarre pursuit had actually ended well. Dennis had been born. In the new century, his legacy was firmly established. With the birth of his grandchildren Emily and Lucas, Andrew found peace of mind. He might never live long enough to see Dennis's children, but he knew that his son had been given every opportunity to succeed in life. Andrew, had lived his perfidious life so long by now, that it had become normal. His one big gamble, trusting a young unknown beautiful woman to keep his secret, had proven successful. Rebecca, never wanting to risk losing her meal ticket, always stayed the course. But Andrew never took her allegiance for granted. That mutual assurance and security he always felt with Alice was wanting when it came to Rebecca. Although Andrew sincerely loved Rebecca, and she never once gave him reason to question her devotion, there was always that gnawing doubt. With Alice, it was about us. With Rebecca, it was about herself. Many, if not most people celebrated the new millennium. But Andrew was made to feel old by the church bells ringing in the new year. At 62, he had accomplished those goals for which his younger self had labored. His construction company evolved, bringing forth a financial branch that complemented the construction branch, each making money in good times and bad. Dennis was a promising teenager and his comfort. Linda Rose graduated Cornell Law School that year. Emily turned four in Y2K, and the following year, his grandson, Lucas, was born. Everyone was healthy, and all was right with the world. Andrew began to feel like a dinosaur. Cell phones slowly began replacing phone booths. Before the decade was over, iPhones, having the power of handheld computers, were everywhere. People were getting places using Garmin Street Pilot, instead of using maps or asking the gas station guy for directions. Technology was starting to take over even in the tools he used and the trucks he drove. It was overwhelming. Fortunately, he had his daughter to guide him in business and enough money to pay for new innovations. He continued to work. Age had slowed him, but had not sidelined him. He had more time to enjoy life and more time to think. He had the same lament as most people his age. Where the hell did the time go? He tried to savor each new day and appreciate each moment instead of wishing the time would end so he could go home and rest. It's a mindset foreign to the young, who are always hurrying to punch out or start the weekend. In 2005, Andrew's baby boy was preparing to graduate high school. He attended the graduation by lying. His whole life was basically a lie and he had become an expert prevaricator. When Andrew informed Alice that he had contracted to build this school an outdoor graduation stage, it raised no red flags. On the day of graduation, he explained to Alice that he was going to the school to inspect the structure. It seemed a bit strange to Alice, but she knew her husband felt very responsible for his work, and this was an important event. The difficult part was leaving his son so soon after he had congratulated him. He tried not to look conspicuous, not knowing who might be there. The fact that he lived in a different town helped. In any case, when Andrew handed his son the keys to a low-mileage 2003 Chevrolet, Dennis hugged him, and he was excused for his quick departure. Dennis probably could have gone to any Ivy League school, but Andrew was not quite ready to let his son disappear from his life. He was slowing down but as far as he knew his decrease in energy and enthusiasm for his business had to do more with age than illness he had approached rebecca while dennis was a junior and still applying to colleges
1: rebecca you have lots of influence with dennis do you think he might consider going to stony brook university it's a great college and will provide what he needs to prepare for graduate school in the field of medicine it's close enough that he can visit easily i've done some construction at the college over the years I'm sure he'll like it. And let's face it, four years is a very long time to be away. Not for Dennis, but for me. I would be past 70 when he graduated, if I were fortunate enough to make it.
2: Andrew. You'll be here to watch him get his MD. And then some. Stop being so morbid. But to be honest, I would like Dennis to be close enough to see him at times other than holidays. It's a reasonable suggestion. He'll live at Stony Brook and have his life, and will be here whenever he needs to escape for a weekend. But first, let me find out how Dennis feels about this idea. We are making all these plans, and they might be totally contrary to what Dennis wants to do.
0: As it turned out, Dennis was very receptive to his mother's thinking. He was not insecure about going away, but having an occasional escape was appealing to him. As Dennis became acclimated to college life, his sojourns home became less frequent, but they were enough for Andrew. After Dennis went to college, Andrew, for the first time in years was able to remain home with Alice on a more regular basis. Alice noticed the difference but attributed it to her husband stepping back a bit from the hands-on running of his business that made it successful. In 2008, shortly after Andrew's 70th birthday, his health began to decline. Linda Rose, who had ever so gently been nudging her father to step away from the construction end of his business, finally got her father to assent. This pleased her, but at the same time it broke her heart knowing the cost to him for this decision. She hoped she hadn't made a mistake by pressing her father to retire. Andrew sometimes approached his daughter more like a client than a father. He stepped into the office he had established for her on the day she had set aside for his bookkeeping tasks. Andrew greeted his daughter, with the endearment reserved only for Alice or Linda Rose on occasions of solemnity. Hello my love.
1: Tell me what it would entail to sell my construction company.
0: Linda Rose was startled. She was, however, prepared to answer her father, having anticipated this moment would one day come.
3: Daddy, in your case, your biggest assets are your properties and your men. You have several pieces of heavy equipment, trucks, tools, the office, and building material in stock. In addition, you own several vacant lots.
0: Vacant lots were like gold and at a premium in Long Island. I feel certain that Roland Beltrami
1: would want to take over. We have tiptoed around this prospect on more than one occasion.
0: Raleigh was Andrew's foreman who had been with him for 22 years, starting out and learning all aspects of the trade when he was only 19 years old. But Raleigh was always Andrew's sidekick. For many years, he served as the son Andrew never had until Dennis came along.
3: This is a lucrative business. Can he afford such a large outlay?
1: I know the man. I am his security deposit. He'll need to assume any outstanding liens, pay the men their salary, and take on those damn taxes and insurance payments. But he will also acquire me. I'll have his back as long as I am able.
3: That just may be enough. After the bank sees all the inventory and long successful history of the company, I feel they would lend Roland the difference to pay you for those things you now own outright. Which is a lot.
0: After several months of transition with Andrew's guidance and support, Roland became the new owner of the business, retaining the company's name with his boss's blessing. Andrew would always remain an unpaid consultant, which was as necessary for his well-being as it was for Roland's success. The end of that first decade of the new millennium flitted by like a flash. After Linda Rose had smoothly handled the sale of her father's business, she was able to devote all her energies to the law firm she had joined upon her graduation from law school. Her husband was firmly ensconced as a reputable engineer for the town of Oyster Bay, and Emily and Lucas were in high school and elementary school, respectively, as the decade faded into the past. For Andrew, the second decade of the new millennium was unkind. Alice convinced him to see a doctor, tired of her husband's complaints about the way his body failed to cooperate when he frequented the bathroom. When he noticed blood in his urine, he knew something was definitely not right. I hate to see
1: a doctor. They never have anything good to say.
3: If you hadn't seen a doctor and acted quickly 24 years ago, you might not be here today. We need to address whatever this is early, so you can have it treated. You know that Andrew?
0: Andrew knew that his wife was right, and that she wanted him to stay around long enough to see his grandchildren grow into adults. But Andrew had the wrong-headed notion that no news was good news. His inclination to procrastinate was overcome by his wife's nagging and the certainty that he had to find the cause of his discomfort. With Alice holding Andrew's hand, the doctor read the report. He heard the same dreaded words he had heard many years before. Only this time, his aging body was not the ally his younger body had been. Andrew had bladder cancer. Was it a dormant surrogate of his previous battle that escaped detection as it lay asleep for a long rip Van Winkle-like hibernation? The doctor confessed there was no way of knowing. As before, Andrew took immediate action that meant both radiation and chemotherapy. When months of treatment failed to destroy the cancer, the doctor recommended surgery to remove the bladder. Andrew had had enough. He had lost his prostate and now faced losing his bladder.
1: What's next? Should I start replacing shoulders and knees? I have always had my tonsils and appendix. Let's take those out now before they
0: attack me. Alice pleaded with him to have the surgery. The inconvenience of living with the
3: consequences of a cystectomy is meaningless compared with the inevitable consequence of doing nothing.
1: Aren't we simply postponing the inevitable? Let's suppose I do this. What's next? I'm not immortal. I've lived a terrific life. Let me spend what's left as a whole person. You talk about inevitable consequences. You mean death. Whether I have this surgery or not, death remains an inevitable consequence. What's not decided is the way I approach it. I choose dignity.
0: Andrew was unyielding. Life had already forced him to sell his business and take afternoon naps and sometimes wet his pants, but that was enough. It was not going to take him out on any other terms than his own. When Alice could no longer reach him, she employed her daughter. Surely, Andrew would listen to Linda Rose who idolized him, and whom he had loved from the first moment he had held her gently in his arms, like a delicate flower. Andrew listened to his daughter with his mind detached from her pleas. Linda Rose joined her mother in defeat, committing instead to cherishing what brief time might be left. It was now the spring of 2011. During this time, Dennis was attending his second year of medical school at the University of Pittsburgh. His desire to become a surgeon had never waned. Andrew convinced Rebecca that it would be better for Dennis to attend an out-of-state medical school. He knew that this phase of his education would put his son in a different league. Dennis would compete with talented students from all over the world. He did not need the diversions of New York or the temptation to run home if the going got tough. Dennis rarely argued with his father's logic. Andrew's years of unstinting devotion did not go unrecognized by his son. Another factor in wanting Andrew far away was Andrew's sinking feeling that his health was rapidly declining. If Dennis was far away, he could hide that fact much easier. During this period, with Dennis away, his contact with Rebecca was infrequent. Although she was approaching 60 years of age, Rebecca was still a beautiful, vibrant woman. It was during Dennis's second year of medical school that Andrew learned that his days were truly numbered. He waited until after the completion of that school term before telling his son about his condition. This was months after Alice and Linda Rose came to bitter grips with Andrew's decision. Even Rebecca was unaware of Andrew's condition until the summer of 2011. Upon returning to Dennis's boyhood home in Hicksville, Andrew greeted his son with an out-of-character prolonged embrace that could never have lasted long enough. Andrew's kiss told Dennis something was wrong. Andrew eased into his news after discussing Dennis's experiences attending school. He listened with genuine pride as his mind grappled with finding the exact moment and manner in which to give his son his news. Rebecca was deliberately absent giving Andrew private time with his son.
1: Dennis, your mother must have been quite a woman to raise such a man.
4: I think she had some
2: help, Dad. You have always been there whenever we needed you. It wasn't the typical Malcolm in the Middle family. But what's a typical family nowadays? All I know is that I felt secure and loved by both my parents.
1: You are well on your way to becoming a doctor, and I know you can take what I am about to tell you. I have bladder cancer. It will take me out. When? Who can say? But I want you to be prepared. I also want you to know that you have blessed my life, and I can leave
0: without regret." Dennis took the painful news with intense inner suffering that he could not mask from his father.
2: There are things you can do dad, please don't give up hope.
1: I have already had this discussion with myself and my family. I won't ask you not to attend my funeral when that day comes, but if you do, Please don't introduce yourself to my wife or her daughter from her previous marriage.
2: What kind of woman is your wife not to welcome her husband's son to his funeral? That's really sick.
1: I agree, but
0: I hope you will respect my
1: wishes. It's how it must be.
0: Andrew knew that if Alice discovered he had a son born during their marriage, it could raise all kinds of problems and none of them good for Rebecca. Her properties and most of her wealth were derived from another woman's husband. He did not really know all the legal ramifications of that, nor did he want Rebecca to have to find out. Andrew changed the subject of his wife. He wanted to express to his son what losing someone close would mean. Dennis was 24. His family was small, consisting of his mother and some cousins. He was a stranger to death except for the impersonal clinical side experienced as a medical student. Andrew shared with his son the memories he had of his own father from the perspective of a seven year old boy.
1: When my own father died, it opened a gaping hole that could never be filled. But I was consoled by the fact that his life had been meaningful to many people. He died protecting his country and family. I can't tell you time will totally heal the wound. It hasn't for me after all these years. But the heartbreak and melancholy you may feel will in time subside and transform into placid memories. That was me. I believe that is true for most people. You too are strong. You will go on and thrive and flourish. I will leave you without regret because you have empowered my life. It is my hope that you will have the same feeling
0: about me. With the shattering news behind them, father and son discussed past memories and hopes for Dennis's future. Dennis would one day see more than his share of death. His profession made that inescapable. But his respect for life gave him a determination to stave death off as long as science allowed. In his future work he would see his father in every patient, man or woman, and fight to save them as he would his own family members. Rebecca was concerned that Andrew's looming end could affect her own life. Since Dennis had left for college, several years before, she and Andrew only met sporadically, mostly to discuss their son. She consulted her only confidant, her brother Robert. Over the years, Robert had become firmly entrenched in her secret life. He served as trust administrator and Rebecca's accountant, and had worked to guarantee an unceasing source of income. He wanted things to remain constant after Andrew departed. Summoning her brother to her home after Andrew's last visit she probed.
2: Andrew I fear, will not be with us much longer. He refuses to undergo any additional treatment that will further eviscerate his body. His last round of radiation was brutal for him. He's made his peace and has decided to let nature take its course. But what will happen once he leaves us?
4: Nothing will happen. Those properties generating your income will continue. They are in your name.
2: But what happens if his family should somehow discover that I benefited from Andrew's generosity? Wouldn't they demand that those properties revert to them?
4: They can't. There is no basis for that. Andrew established this trust for his son. He bought your house for his child. He legally transferred deeds of ownership to you for the primary purpose of providing support for you and his son and an education for Dennis until he completed his last degree. After that, The trust is dissolved and you will receive the remaining funds. That's how this was constituted. Unless this trust is based on some illegal act on your part, there's not a thing they can do. And I know that Andrew was the one who initiated the relationship, prompting you to have his child and setting the wheels in motion. Everything you have was in support of his son, Dennis.
2: That's reassuring, but what if they do find out about Dennis and challenge the ownership of all properties? There have been some close calls over the years. Once at the shopping mall, when Dennis was a baby, he called out daddy as Andrew was shopping with his wife and daughter. And more recently, his daughter questioned Andrew believing he owned the building housing a bakery in Bethpage. He told his daughter he was playing with her. What if she ever checks the property records? This summer, Andrew spoke to Dennis about his illness. Dennis will insist on attending the funeral when that day comes. That is worst of all. Dennis will have all kinds of questions about his father's real family. And if Snoopy Linda Rose should wonder who Dennis is, well, I would dread that conversation. They are both too sharp not to figure out their connection to each other.
4: Andrew would not want his memory blackened by scandal or have his son suffer from his actions. You should convince him to record a confession video. No, let's call it an explanation video to Dennis, just in case his secret comes to light after he dies. I seem to remember he was thinking about telling his family
0: anyway, after Dennis went to college, right? Rebecca recalled her conversation with Andrew.
2: He did contemplate that idea. He felt his children deserved to know each other. I convinced him that revealing his duplicitous life at this late date could only hurt everyone involved. Thankfully, he agreed with me. We have not talked about that since.
4: You should present the idea that Andrew record a video explaining how Dennis came to be. Tell Andrew this could be used to prove that Dennis is truly his legitimate son and should be treated as such. He should emphasize the fact that you were artificially inseminated to spare his wife the image of you and Andrew as lovers. In fact. Andrew should try to paint a picture of a platonic relationship to mollify any notions on
0: his wife's part that you were ever close in that way. Rebecca thought this would be a good insurance policy. She felt that Andrew would understand. The biggest problem was getting Andrew to her brother's office to record the video. He was becoming increasingly frail with far more bad days than good ones. In mid January of the new year of 2012, Andrew had the energy to leave his house and record the video. Robert picked him up while his wife was out shopping. He did not feel like making any excuses, knowing his wife would insist on his staying inside on a cold January day. Rebecca had prepared a script for Andrew to read using her journalistic skills. He studied the script making some small impromptu changes to suit his own style. He delivered his confession into the camera lens with conviction and authority. When it was done, Andrew said, Rebecca, here it is. And
1: may you never have reason to show this to Alice or Linda Rose."
0: Rebecca stared at Andrew's gaunt face. The strong handsome man with powerful sinewy limbs broadened from years of bending and lifting was now a shadow of his former self. Whether it was a feeling that she would never see Andrew again, or the adoration for a man who gave a floundering young woman a life of meaning and sustenance, her mind's eye could only see the able-bodied father of her son. She caressed Andrew tenderly,
2: Saying thank you is so inadequate. I bless the day we met, and I will love you forever.
0: With a soft tender kiss, she said goodbye to Andrew. Andrew, fighting back the tears, walked wearily to Robert's car to return home. The simple act of recording a video was an ordeal. He understood the finality of his encounter with Rebecca. His mind had learned to accept the certainty of never seeing his son earn his medical degree, or fall in love, or seeing his grandchildren grow up. This reality tormented his soul. Barely a week after Andrew recorded his confession, he lost the ability to eat and his breathing became shallow and suffocating. Alice called for an ambulance, knowing her husband lacked the strength to walk himself to the car. After three days of tests and life-sustaining support, the doctor told Alice and Linda Rose that the end was very near. They could keep him sedated and free of pain in the hospital, or Andrew could return home to comfortable surroundings. The Thompsons had the means to hire around-the-clock nursing with the training to administer morphine in order to relieve the pain Andrew was experiencing. Andrew insisted on a do-not-resuscitate order which Alice respected. Fifteen-year-old granddaughter Emily and ten-year-old grandson Lucas had never experienced the death of someone they loved. They would enter their grandfather's room sense the ominous mood of the surroundings and quickly depart. Alice would sit with Andrew as long as her heart could stand it holding his hand and telling him things about the lives of his loved ones. But mostly, she would comfort Andrew with long walks down memory lane.
3: Mother, I am weak. You sit with Daddy for hours and I can't bear to be in the room. What if he died while I was sitting there? Linda Rose, I know how you feel. I've lived it. Your father has been in your life from the second you were born. The idea of losing him is unbearable. For me, it's a reverential time to be with my husband when he departs. I do this for his sake because I owe him this duty to stay by his side until death do us part.
0: It took another three days, but Andrew finally left the world. It appeared peaceful with no outward signs of distress. He never opened his eyes, but Alice felt the pressure of a gentle squeeze of her hand. That was Andrew's way of saying goodbye to his precious love. Alice walked to her room, shut the door and cried suppressed moans of loss and despair. She was determined not to add to the wailing anguish she could clearly hear from Linda Rose and Emily. Linda Rose tried to comfort her daughter the best she could, but her own grief was inconsolable and made that impossible. Emily left her mother's side to mourn in private in the same spare bedroom where she had spent so many nights. He would always be there in spirit, but not having him there in the flesh would be a loss that no one who loved Andrew could ever fully get over. Robert Walsh paid a surprised unannounced visit to his sister. Rebecca. Do you know that Andrew died two days ago? The blood drained from Rebecca's face, and she somewhat staggered trying to find a chair.
2: How could you possibly know? I've been wanting to contact him but was not able to find a way.
0: I started checking the
4: Farmingdale Observer ever since Andrew's last visit to my office. I knew the end was near, but it surprises me how quickly it came. God! I have to call Dennis. Stop and think. What would Dennis do if he heard his father died? He would rush home helter-skelter and head straight for the funeral parlor. He might be bereft or he might be composed, but he would absolutely be conspicuous. His presence would certainly be questioned by Andrew's family. I doubt if Dennis could muster the restraint to avoid them. At a time like this, Dennis would reject any promise he made to his father about staying away from his wife. And he doesn't even know that he has a sister. How do you think that would play out?
0: Rebecca weighed her brother's persuasive logic. Dennis would certainly be an imposing figure were he to attend his father's funeral. His presence would be mystifying and lead to who knew where. A quarter century of mendacity would explode.
2: I will have to lie to Dennis. Again.
0: That's right. In truth, you
4: did not know in time to tell your son. It's plausible. He will be unsatisfied and possibly cast blame or doubt. But that fallout will be far better than the alternative. I will check with the funeral parlor and see where Andrew will be buried. At least Dennis will be comforted knowing he has a place to visit his father. But I should see my Andrew one last time. To what end? Andrew is gone. You will only see a lifeless shell
0: and you must not create that lasting memory. Rebecca knew her brother was right. She mourned privately at home.